0: Hey guys, uh, this is just a little note from Parv and I. The past few weeks have been quite stressful.
1: Yeah, and with uh, the semester ending, we had final exams. We had uh, internships and research positions in places to get to. So a lot of traveling, a lot of packing, a lot of getting used to and acquainted with new places. So unfortunately, we weren't able to... Find as much time to produce the quality content that we promise you,
0: yeah, and um just to let you guys know, we're doing our best to even try podcasting uh even though we're like ten thousand miles away from each other, and we'd love to receive your ongoing support for these podcasts These take a lot of time to make, and um we hope that you. Keep tuned in. You keep the conversation going because without your support, we wouldn't be here. And we are looking forward to creating more content for you guys soon.
1: Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at the rate sipping Socrates. And we hope you like the episode today on education. Thank you. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, Feed him for a lifetime. Welcome to Sipping
0: Socrates, where we have a warm Socratic discussion over a cup of coffee.
1: We are Manan and Parv, and today is June 3rd. We will be talking about education from the perspective of two college boys. So, let's start with the starting quote. Did it make you feel anything, Parv? It makes me feel a lot of things. This quote is... Um, I know it means a lot to you, and you're very moved by it. And through you, I have uh, learned to appreciate this quote. And now it brings a lot of, not just memories of you and you telling me about this, but the idea of how education is so important. Yeah, it does mean a lot to me. And I feel like it means
0: a lot to me because education is one of those things that we can use as a key tool to empower people who don't have uh, resources at the moment. And what I mean by that is, let's say you were born into like a poorer family, and you come from a place that is not as privileged as us. um, Unfortunately, you can actually use money. And we can use that as like, you can use education as a bridge to sort of get people who want to you know try and acquire more for their life and their family and their children to through simple means of education and i think it's transformative in a way that not only changes your life but changes uh, you know your family's life and those around you for for a long time to come and moreover it changes the world
1: as we know it um so is that what it is about for you, Manan? Is education about empowerment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's an aspect to it. Um, though
0: it's it's not like a primary purpose, but I think education as a form of empowerment is why a lot of uh, people choose to pursue it. Um, so mm-hmm. though it's not a primary purpose or reason, I think it's a huge part as to why so many people think that acquiring degrees and some sort of education... Uh, will bring a fruitful change in their life and a uh, fruitful change in others.
1: So generally, we do this at the very end of our podcast, but this time around, I would like to switch it a little bit. So Manan, tell me uh, any anecdotes from high school or college that you've had about education, exams, uh, something that just brings a lot of emotion out of you and your feelings about education. Uh, ones that sa- stand out are,
0: if you want to divide it into a positive or negative sort of emotion. Um, One, one that stands out is this positive idea of trying to um, change and revolutionize how we think about education. And if you have watched my TED Talk, uh, I'm a huge advocate for understanding instead of just knowing and the way we do that is teaching others to understand how to learn because i think uh we've seen a lot from our experiences that no matter how sometimes when students just put in all their hard work into studying and um being this part of you know the education system they don't maximize how much they get from it and the reason for that is because they don't know how to learn and so after thorough research on active recall and spaced repetition as like techniques on how to actually be effective learners um especially with the system that we have in place uh there was this time in school where i sort of started this campaign um called experience to develop where experienced senior students would help younger students on you know just techniques on how to learn like I said educational psychology is um is a huge aspect of education especially because we don't really know how we learn and without knowing how we learn it you know it sort of like gets difficult on how to maximize on learning so being able to witness 300 200 to 300 students, have, like you know, attend workshops on learning how to learn, and then see a gradual improvement in their scores has been phenomenal. And I think that was one of the positive experiences I've had leading this entire program, and you know, training individuals on learning how to learn. And that has been like transformative and revolutionary in how I think we can improve the education system for better.
1: True. And this idea about learning how to learn, this resonates with me a lot as well because not too far back, I was a guest speaker on a podcast called The Healthy I hosted by Matt Strock, And in that podcast episode while we were recording, I also mentioned that learning is not about learning. Learning is also about learning how to learn. If children learn how to learn, then it just makes education intuitive. And the more it is intuitive, the less there is spoon feeding, and it makes it easier for think complexities in it in things to break down into simpler forms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing, one thing that stand out stands out to me from uh, my high school time is actually what I thought at the time was very very stupid. So. Uh, We started a thing with the social club of our school. um, Social club of our school. And then the thing was that we will teach people how to fix sinks and water taps. So basic plumbing. And to give you a little bit of background on this, I come from the state of Rajasthan. Rajasthan is a state of India, which is very dry. It's very hot. And that is water scarcities in several parts of the state. So the idea was to teach people basic plumbing so that whenever there is some issue of a training tab, it can be fixed by anyone. Because there were quite a several taps in our schools that would leak a lot. So at the time I thought it's a very dumb idea. Why are we taking time out of classes to be taught how to teach Um, and how to learn, and to learn how to fix these taps. But now that I think about it, it's not just, well, that's one aspect to it, the environment, right? The second aspect to it, which makes a lot more sense now, is teaching vocational vocational skills. In our education system, we are not being taught vocational skills that might be important for several people.
0: What are your thoughts? I think that is one of the things that I wanted to touch on as well. But I'm so glad you mentioned it because vocational skills are now going to be one of the more in-demand skills, um, especially because most people who are pursuing um, jobs in the tertiary or the quaternary sector are going to come back to produce technology that can help us solve basic things uh, that we otherwise are not trained for in you know through school and so just like you know addressing a part of school or education that has not been addressed through the system and you trying to take initiative and training individuals for that is transformative for sure
1: right and um, I was watching a TED talk by Sir Ken robinson in which he mentions that I kind of agree with this if you think really think about it, what education systems are trying to do is make everyone university professors.
0: That's interesting.
1: The school that the the high school that we the things that we learn in high school, the things that we learn in college, and then what do you proceed to do? They always teach you this go to learn in the field. Then you pursue your masters, then, then you get a PhD and well now guess what? You're a professor. So what the education system in their way trying to do is teach everyone to become a university professor. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. However, generally speaking, university professors are disembodied. Yeah. Highly. Yeah. They think of their bodies as a means of transportation for their head.
0: I think that's a nice way of putting it.
1: So, that's a very um, funny yet kind of realistic idea that I heard from that
0: yeah the TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson is one of the first TED Talks one of the Hallmark TED Talks that actually um, brought TED to this um, you know as like this landmark of you know just great ideas and that was uh, I would say it was one of the milestone TED Talks that I think most people who are into TED have like heard of or listened to but what about some of the negative anecdotes or memories you have from exams or education? Because I had a lot. Uh, I'm a nervous test, test taker. I suffer from, well, I don't suffer, but I have been subjected to a lot of um, stress and anxiety surrounding exams because of, you know, competition and imposter syndrome and stuff like that uh, from my high school. And it carries on to me to this very day. But I think being able to manage that is equally as important. I remember that small things like even asking for extra supplementary sheets uh, during the exam hall um, to like fill out the answer sheet used to like be sometimes stress-invoking to those who uh, haven't written as much or haven't <laughs> know that they haven't like put in enough on the paper. I think small things like that just <laughs> remind me of how high schools actually just trained us to be test takers and perhaps has not really focused on you know growing us as individuals or grooming us to be you know better uh, individuals for society and i always like mentioning that you know life is not like an examination hall where you know the more like supplementary sheets that you take or the better the more answers that you can you know find uh, in a given specific amount of time Um, I feel like some of those skills, while uh, are important, are not you know holistic representation of the decisions that you'll end up making in life. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Personally speaking, I was a bright student, but a very lousy test taker. Well, I knew what I was supposed to do mostly in an exam. I knew how to do the questions, but it would be lousy things that not flipping over the page to see the next set of questions and just sitting there idle for the next hour. Things like that, forgetting parts of the questions. So I would do part one, two, and three, would forget to do part four and move on to the next question. So those kind of things happen a lot. And then towards the end of the exam, when I would think about maybe rechecking and I saw that, oh, shit, I forgot this one part. Having this mini burst of panic attack where I'm trying to figure out the stuff as quickly as possible before the teacher gets to me to take my exam sheet all of that had has happened a lot but overall exam wise very personally speaking i'm quite comfortable with them i feel confident going into exams i never have that anxiety but it it is a wide wide problem between people to have an exam anxiety to stress about them to overdo it to the point that they're just training themselves that doing more questions is Instead of helping them, it's just making them more and more confused. So, exams, not always for the best, for sure. However, I want to mention that at least in the exams that I've taken recently in college, in contrast to the exam that I took in high school, are very different. And here's what I mean by it. I think it might be a Indian education versus Western education type of deal. But in Indian education, when I was taking exams here, it was a lot about, well, here is what you need to know. Within this vast content, we will ask you questions that you've never seen before. But through the concepts that we've built in you, you should be able to solve them. However, in the Western in college recently, the kind of exams that I've taken have more been about Well, here's what's gonna be on the exam. All you gotta do is do it. So it's like a mandatory homework that teaches you through exam. The idea of exam is not to test your knowledge, but the idea of exam is to make you learn. Which is a completely new idea of thinking about an exam. If learning is all that matters, then why test when you can take that same opportunity to make them learn?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, contrasting system. But I do feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't uh, very popular Indian examinations, especially entrance examinations like the JE, the NEETS, don't they have like a lot of past paper questions that usually sort of show up in the exam? Or am I am I wrong about that? Uh,
1: no, 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 absolutely not. So how it is is that they do have a lot of past exams, mock exams, and resources available. But every question that you see in exam... Is rarely a version of the question you've seen before. It's very creative. It's very new. It's almost like nothing. Interesting. Else.
0: And because you mentioned the contrast between you know these two systems, that I also somewhat relate to because um, I've been in CBSE and then I switched to IB. So I have had an experience to a lot of to a lot of curriculums. I see there's a vast contrast in how different uh, cultures want to assess the competency of students and the proficiency of students. And I always find it interesting, like, does that make one student more able from one part of the world than a different student? Maybe we're trained for different skills, you know, and that's why I wanted to bring up the question um, in this this segment of our podcast. What exactly is the purpose of education and what exactly is the purpose of exams, do you think, Parv? Well,
1: here's a very... Uh, very popular idea the purpose of education and I'm sure I've told you told this to you before in a in a conversation that we might be having I'm just chilling uh, but the idea is that what does an employer look in peak an employer when they look at possible employees they want a person who will be loyal they want a person who will be regular and they want a person who aligns with the thoughts of the company well, it's there. There are a lot of alignment programs. Companies are very uh, woke about alignment issues and agency problems, so they do a lot of that. In which case, that is not that big of a problem now. The problem is where it comes to loyalty. A lot of companies are facing problem with employee churnings, churning very fast, and that cost. That cost translates to one cost of acquiring employees, two cost of teaching employees. And learning and development and employees. All of these costs are skyrocketing. Because of this churning problem. So. The idea of education and examinations. Is that. Well. Here is a person. Who has. For the last four years. Came to this place. Has showed up. Most of the time. Has done most of the work. Uh, that they were given. And quite reasonably well. And. Here is a brand, that brand being a said university, college or institution that certifies them and kind of packs them. So this makes the employer feel that to a certain level this person will come in every day will do all the job or all the tasks that they're given reasonably well and in the deadlines that they're presented most of the times. And that in a way, has kind of become the role of education in exams. Interesting. So, from what I hear you say,
0: it's mostly about how well you can comply given a set of parameters or rules in a specific system to get the best possible outcome. And I know I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast. I said that it was meant to empower people. But I think because you mentioned this, you need to bring up this point. How truly do you think that this system is meant to empower people? Because you said, you know, they want you to comply within a set of rules to the best possible skill or ability that you can show in that role. And I would perhaps argue that while what you said is very, very true and concerning, it's actually more detrimental uh, with the way we want to progress as society because society warrants the need for innovation. It warrants the need for people to sometimes step outside the boundary and pursue things that they would otherwise otherwise not pursue. And so maybe is this system trying to create a, like a community or a society of people who would rather comply and stay within those boundaries and make this system very mind-numbing and just monotonous and... Um, Do you think that does more harm to society than it does producing able individuals who are just able to carry out jobs? In other words, do you think the system is creating skilled laborers instead of competent and bright and future thinking uh, change makers of the the world?
1: Oh, yeah, right, for sure. So... Killing creativity is something that the education system has been accused of several times. And where all kids, children are all born creative, the tough part is to stay creative through adulthood. What do you say about, uh, about making skilled labors? I co- kind of agree with that too. Because a lot of entry-level to mid-level jobs that the most of the population aspires to hold and does hold i'm not talking about those higher management executives and then founders type of people i'm talking about the very uh in the bell curve the middle the the bell where it's the peak at those kind of jobs all of them are skilled labor type jobs and the visionaries do want people who want to remain and do remain there and do those jobs. Because the leaders, the executives, the directors, all of them, they are the visionaries. They they choose where the firm or the company is headed. They choose what's the next challenge. They choose the strategy to make growth. At the pace that they would like. Right. And I, co- I completely so, love... Sorry to interrupt you right But I completely love the
0: fact that you brought up the normal distribution curve in this sense. Um, and I'm going to let you finish your point before I head to the next part of what I wanted to talk about.
1: Uh, but I- I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, as I was saying, the visionaries, the executives, the senior people, they do want... That skill labor they're looking for nothing else in a lot of employees. And then the kind of employee who somehow still retains that creativity within themselves; those are the ones who quote unquote climb the corporate ladder. Okay. Right. That was my entire...
0: Yeah, no, I completely, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, expectations of employees has always been, you know, um, at least until the last. 10 or 20 years has been to comply and, you know, to get the job done. And I think it still holds true for a lot of corporate cultures to believe in their ideology. I think there is some amount of uh, change coming in 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 which we are seeing, uh, you know, uh, company heads and, you know, management uh, professionals trying to look for entrepreneurs Uh, who are ready to you know take a step further in their responsibilities to innovate and we are seeing that in google and stuff um but you mentioned the bell curve and um like how i mean there are a lot of listeners who are listening to a podcast and wondering what they're saying is true but how do i make that jump into you know the the part of the curve uh, you know and the positive x-axis that sort of reaches that you know that little thin curve right like thin portion of the curve right uh, towards the end of it and how do they make that jump between just skilled laborers to then like visionaries and change makers because at the end of the day everyone wants to be uh, you know someone who's known for making a significant contribution to whatever it is that they're doing so beyond just grades and the purpose of exams um, how do you make
1: that that jump so I personally believe and this can be a topic f- and for an entire new podcast episode that luck is a big big thing coincidences luck the opportunity that you were looking for or which happened to be that million dollar billion dollar idea just happening to be there when you were there so luck plays an important very very important role in reaching that positive x-axis um, side of the bell curve to the extreme politics exercise i'll give you an example top three olympic running 100 meter sprint records all of them had tailwind and non-headwind well a lot of people uh, a lot of athletes would put their uh, when they give their speeches after their records and recognition, they do mention all of their hard work, the training, the people that helped them get there, which is all quite true. But if even for a second or for those 10 seconds when they were sprinting those 100 meters, if the wind had been a headwind instead of the tailwind, they wouldn't be there at all. So all of that would have just, all of that training, all of that, um, all of their hard work. Would not have been recognized. So, to be and become the change makers in the world, according to me, luck plays a very, very important role. However, the idea that people sit idle and do nothing and just believe that if it's in my destiny, that is wrong too. Because if you don't happen to do anything, the luck alone can't get you places. Yeah, and I think what you're trying to so, touch on. Yeah. So what, I'm, yeah, so what I'm trying to say is that you keep going forward in the hopes that no luck exists. In the hopes that all the work that you do, all the results are going to come from all the hard work and energy that you put in. But looking back, if you do make it, do know that there is a lot of factor involved which is just sheer luck. Right. And what you're trying to sort of get to is
0: fortune favors the people who maximizes the chances of fortune itself as in you need yeah, to you be won't. in situations and places uh to you know
1: make the luck work for you right i'm going to quote john wick here and say fortis fortuna adiuvat which translates to fortune right which is one of my very personal favorite. Yeah. groups Oops. It is like a part of iconic, right there. <laughs>
0: but beyond that, how do you how do you... you measure these things? Like, it's easy for us to say that the you know exams have not really been representative all the time of situations, but they have been representative of let's say, for example, your hard work your dedication into, like, learning a topic to, you know, to the farthest of your ability as well as you can, and then answering questions on that in a specific given period of time. But outside of that, m- measuring holistic learning continues to be a challenge. Like, How do you measure stuff like creativity or critical thinking or emotional intelligence? Well, you can, you can see that from character and, let's say, If there are like leadership positions in schools, you can see that from how a student or a prefect or a leader in that situation behaves when there's a tough time or when there are challenges and stuff like that. And whether or not they're competent enough to um, deal with that situation appropriately. But knowing that these skills and qualities are so essential in future entrepreneurs and change makers, how do you actually measure
1: it? Exactly, and that's the entire issue, right? The entire wave about questioning the education system, about redoing or destructuring the education system has been to reach this holistic approach of assessing a student, which is also the reason why a lot of colleges and universities have stopped uh, accepting or made um, standardized tests optional. Because those standardized tests don't necessarily reflect a student and wh- how they are. Which is why a lot of emphasis is on their essays, is on their profile, is on their past experiences. What what beliefs do they believe in? Wh- what is their core values? And so long as those holistic measurements about the core values of a person... Uh, meet the standards of the university. They're trying to shift to that model, which I believe is very good. But there is no objective way to measure uh, a student's holistic growth. Right. Uh, You're definitely correct in the sense that uh, grades can and exams can measure your understanding of a subject, your understanding of a concept objectively. But there is no given objective way to measure holisticity. Yeah, and
0: um does that mean, and so this sort of brings up this question where we then differentiate what training means and then what education means, right? Because when you train someone, you want them to be competent in a certain skill but i believe education goes further than that i think education is all about the things that we just talked about like emotional intelligence and critical thinking and decision making and analytical skills and stuff and so where does training stop and where does education start and if if we want you know just to churn out workers that can produce value to the society that can be done solely by training but we don't want that. We want people to go the extra step and do something that has never been thought of before. So I, I personally believe that even though school trains you, your education should uncover or encompass a lot more skills that can, add, can, that can be attributed to, at the end of the day, being successful in life. So how do you think we can train these sort of skills? Is there is there a way or is it something as simple as, oh, here's a piece of paper. Uh, try and come up with the best possible thing that you can do with a piece of paper. Or like we previously mentioned, the sell me a pen scenario where then students are then, you know, come up with frameworks on how to, sell other people a pen. why is it that we aren't able to introduce or integrate these into modern education systems
1: so i believe we already have and people when they think about education system they only think about um and and i'm particularly talking about college and universities the only thing about the exams they take the classes they go to and the homework that they do I believe that universities and colleges have already adopted a very holistic learning uh, way. And here's why. Freshman year of college, we're supposed to live in a dorm and it's mandatory. Guess what you learn? You learn how to share a common space, your personal space with people. You get to learn how to dine with 500 different students with 500 different backgrounds in the same huge hall and just have a conversation there. So that is also a part of our education system, which no one ever even thinks about. Then I'm a part of the supply chain course in the University of Illinois. What's mandatory for me to get a degree is to have an internship in the supply chain area. So while my classes might be training me on how to make uh, uh, optimization models, how to do linear programming on transportation problems or p median models and several different things. The internship that I did and that the students will do will give them hands-on experience towards that holistic learning. Another thing that's requirement that's a requirement for our supply chain program is to do a case competition on our in our before our senior year. The case competition again reflects our public speaking skills, um, problem understanding, problem solving, uh, and then innovatory skills as to can we innovate a solution somehow out of this problem. So education is very dynamic. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of parts of the education system are completely neglected and emphasis is given to homework, classes, and exams. However, if you look at it, living in a dorm is also part of the education system. Which teaches you? Yeah, I think that's a
0: fair argument to make. Unfortunately, being a pre med, most of my hard science classes, most of my grades in them have simply come from, uh, homeworks, exams, and quizzes, like you mentioned before. And so, I personally haven't had the opportunity to indulge in projects or presentations uh, that can allow me to practice or implement my creativity and you know um, analytical skills in a in a better way. But probably that's just because of the difference in curricula between different sort of disciplines in in education. But having said all that, we still believe, and this is a common viewpoint, that success is important. Uh, It's almost vital for you to, like I said, empower yourself and uh, create change in society. So because of these sort of transformations in how we view education, how do we redefine what success means. And for someone who places a lot of emphasis on academic success, do should we perhaps turn our heads around and rethink uh, what makes us successful as an individual, as within a society, maybe within relationships? And does being well-educated reflect on all these different aspects?
1: Success is very personal to a lot of people. By personal, I mean, success. Have everyone has a, their own personal definition of success, which is true. Generally, their definition of success is driven from their past childhood experiences. So, very generally speaking, amongst the people that I've met, success for a lot of uh, people who haven't come from financially strong households, maybe to earn a lot of money. Success for a lot of people who who are very loving and caring might be to have a nice and strong relationship with their family and to need a happy family. Success for certain people is to just travel and explore the world and meet new people and then keep moving to the next page. So success needs to be redefined and is defined by you and you alone. For sure. What education does is Education gives you a better way to define your success measures. So if I were not educated enough, and if I were not uh, or if I won't aware enough of the problems in the world, or the grand scheme of things in the world, as in problems, say racism problems mm-hmm. with the L G B T Q community problems with political issues and agendas and propagandas if i'm just ignorant of all those then my success measures are very different to what they are now currently being aware of all these issues in the world my success measures is to somehow contribute these issues by making my fair share of contribution whatever may that be may that be uh, donating money through a ph- philanthropy, may that be starting my own NGO, may that be exp- uh, may it be to aspire to become a politician so that when I'm in a position of power, I may be in- able to impact these uh, these uh, these causes that I firmly believe in. So as as people get more educated as they get more aware of what they feel and believe, how they want the world their world to be. Their measures of success change, and that is why that is how education plays a role in defining success. Right, and we we obviously know that the problems
0: um, that happen in society that are currently occurring, whether it's social issues like racism and gender inequality, uh, all the way to financial issues and um, just economic disparities between individuals, there, there comes a thought, and it's inevitable, that we sort of always look to reorient education to produce individuals who can come up with solutions to these problems um, in different parts of the world. And so these are policymakers or exec- business executives or uh, just entrepreneurs who are looking to s- choose a problem and try and solve it to the best of their ability. One should never think that the education system right now is perfect. Like we have discussed all the ways in in which it is very imperfect, but let's, let's try and become solution makers during this segment of this podcast and try and think about how we can reorient education um, and perhaps explore possibilities of adaptive learning or project-based assessments and continuous evaluations. Um, and integrate them into the system to perhaps better education for the purpose that we have currently defined right. education for.
1: Hmm. So, do you have any but ideas? That... Wait, can you can you repeat your question? Ideas
0: for trying to think of different strategies to reorient your education system to include these sort like these certain things in in trying to make it better.
1: Yeah, well as we've kinda of talked about in this entire episode, education needs to adapt in to the way that there needs to be a lot of vocation be got. And then several other Parts that aren't given as emphasis, but our education systems, I believe, are doing a great job in adapting to them. They are, there are now courses sold me on things like, say, dancing, music, uh, cooking that weren't there before, to be very honest. And even though the mainstream might not be this, there is a wave of change and there is a wave of change for the better. So I believe that. However, me being a college student, I don't have an answer to what the next big thing for the education might be. But what I want to say is that the future of education is very brimming and filled with immense potential. The integration of technology, personalized learning, and the development of essential skills will really reshape the education systems worldwide. As we look ahead, it is crucial to ensure equitable access to education and bridge the divide. By embracing these transformative changes, we can create a future where education becomes a powerful tool for empowerment, as we mentioned before, fostering lifelong learners who not only learn, but know what is it to know how to learn, and then who are prepared to tackle the challenges and opportunities for an ever-changing an evolving world. I absolutely love that. So just to conclude
0: this episode right here, we've talked about personal anecdotes with education and what we, and then we sort of delved around to the purpose of education and the purpose of exams and the difference between training and actually educating someone. And then we got on to talking about uh, results and redefining success in education, which we thought was Absolutely essential um, to how you view life as a student or as an uh, educator or as someone who's being educated, and then we sort of rethought uh, what education could stand for in the future by integrating these uh, learning of skill, learning of vocational skills, and changing how or changing how you evaluate students based on um, different sorts of uh, exams, etc., and as a final remark, I would just like to say or quote um, Jiddu Burti And they said, there is no end to education. It is not that you read a book, pass an examination and finish with education. She says the whole of life from the moment you're born to the moment you die is a process of learning. And I think that encapsulates what we were trying to address in, in this episode.
1: Well then that is it for today's episode about education. There's several several themes that we could have covered as well, but we only have so much time. The themes like well ed tech, upskill um and several other topics, but this is it for now. Thank you so much for listening.
0: And we'd love for you to carry on um being a part of this conversation. So please follow us on our Instagram at Sipping Socrates. Um, Try and uh, send in a message, try and start a conversation with people down in the comment section. And we'd love to, we'd love to indulge. Thank you guys for listening and until the next time.